What happens when a Buddhist talks about his worldview, a Muslim talks about his worldview, and then you come in and present your case for Jesus Christ? This is Evidence and Answers with Christian scholar, speaker, author, and apologist, Pat Zuckerman. I'm Kevin Harris, and that's exactly what just happened at a large Christian high school. Pat was able to defend the Christian faith after the students heard from a Buddhist monk and a Muslim imam. Now, we have resources that will help you defend the faith and know why you believe what you believe. And if you're a skeptic, some things for you to consider about the claims of Christ. And they're found at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, we're going to hear a recording of you recently, and you spoke to a high school group. Tell us about the situation. Yes, I was speaking at a Christian high school, and I was pre preceded by a Buddhist monk and a Muslim imam there in Arlington, Texas. And so they presented their case of why they thought their religion was true. And I followed them presenting a message called Why I Believe Christianity is True. And so in 45 minutes, I had a chance to present my case for Christianity. Well, since this was a Christian high school and a Christian school, they must have had a lot of confidence in you in order to expose Christian students to two other worldviews and then have you kind of come in and assist mop up. Right, you know, and that was great because they raised a lot of issues that the students really had to think about and question regarding their worldview and the truth of the claims of Jesus Christ. Especially the imam, he really went after the credibility of the Bible and the claims of Jesus Christ. So by the time I came, they were ready and listening and they wanted some answers because they had no answers for both of these guys. Well, let's hear that experience now as we go to Pat Zuckerman speaking to an auditorium of students on why Christianity is true. When studying the world religions, you all soon realize very quickly that they cannot all be true at the same time. The reason is they teach mutually exclusive principles. They have mutually exclusive or contradictory beliefs. It's impossible to say they can all be true at the same time because what they teach at the basic fundamental level is contradictory. It's impossible to say, as the Zen Buddhists do and Southern Buddhists and other atheistic religions, that God does not exist. And at the same time, the religions that teach God does exist, they're teaching opposite things. It's impossible to say the two are true at the same time. It's impossible to say, as the pantheists do, that God is a non-personal being. God is the universe. The universe makes up God. God is this impersonal force or energy, as pantheism teaches. And also say that God is a person. God is a personal being who created the universe. It's impossible to say both are true at the same time. It's impossible to say that sin is just an illusion of an unenlightened mind, as the New Age and other pantheistic religions will teach. But also teach that sin is what separates us from God. And sin is what condemns us to eternal separation from God. It's impossible to say both are true at the same time. Islam teaches that Jesus is not the divine son of God. He's merely a prophet. He did not die on the cross. He did not resurrect from the dead. And as Christians, we believe Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. He died for our sins and he resurrected himself from the dead. It's impossible to say both positions are true at the same time. Well, how do we know then that Christianity is true? Well, to answer the question, we first must begin at the worldview level. There are three basic worldviews that undergird all the religions and philosophies out there. Theism says God made all. There's a personal God who created the universe. He's not in the universe. He transcends the universe. So he's outside the universe, but he can also enter into time and space. Pantheism. That says God is all. God is the universe and the universe is God. God is made up of all things in the universe. That's the foundation of the Eastern religions. Taoism, Northern Buddhism. God is this impersonal force. He's not a person, he's an energy made up of all things in the universe. And then there's atheism or naturalism. Says no God at all. 
As Carl Sagan stated, the universe is all that ever was, is, and ever will be. Now, these are the three worldviews that undergird all the religions and philosophies that are out there. All three cannot be true at the same time. If one is true, the other two must be false. If we can present a case that we live in a theistic universe, then the worldviews of pantheism and atheism or naturalism must be false. Then what follows is that all the philosophies and religions that are undergirded by naturalism or atheism and pantheism therefore must ultimately be false. Then we're just left with the three basic monotheistic religions. So we begin by showing Christianity is true at the worldview level. The evidence indicates that we live in a theistic universe. What's the evidence there? Well, we've got three very compelling cases. And there's more, but here's just the basic three. First, the universe has a beginning. The universe displays complex design. And third, there is a universal moral law. So these three build a very compelling case that we live in a theistic universe. Let's take a look briefly at these three and why they build a good case for the existence of God. First, the universe has a beginning. The scientific community is pretty much overwhelmingly in consensus that the universe is not eternal, that the universe has a definite beginning point. Many call this the Big Bang, when the universe was created out of nothing. This has some very strong implications. If the universe has a beginning, then the universe cannot be eternal, and therefore pantheism. You've got to rule it out right away. Because pantheism, the universe is divine, and the universe is eternal. And if the universe has a beginning, pantheism is in trouble. And there's also implications for naturalism as well. How do we know the universe has a beginning? Those of you going into the sciences, you'll come across these theories. If Einstein's theory of relativity. Einstein was a pantheist, one of the greatest physicists of our time, but he was a pantheist. But unfortunately, and reluctantly, he had to admit, his theory of relativity showed that the universe is expanding. And the universe is expanding. If you go backwards in time, you can go right to a beginning point. Einstein proved, in theory, the universe has a beginning. This theory was confirmed in our time, in modern times. Edwin Hubble, Hubble Telescope. He and several other astronomers and cosmologists showed that the universe definitely is indeed expanding. So Einstein proved it in theory. Hubble and other scientists have come along and proved it scientifically that our universe is indeed expanding from a large explosion. Then we have the radiation echo discovered by Penzias and Wilson, the remnants of the large Big Bang blast. They picked it up on their radar, Penzias and Wilson, the radiation echo, the remnants of the Big Bang was detected. And then we have the second law of thermodynamics, okay, that the universe is running down out of usable energy. Okay, all this indicates that the universe has a beginning. Since the universe has a beginning, it cannot be eternal. Therefore, pantheism, the worldview of pantheism is in trouble. Because in pantheism, God is the universe and the universe is God. Secondly, since the universe has a beginning, it must have a cause. This is called the basic law of causality. Whatever has a beginning has a cause. And here's where naturalism has a problem. You're going to have to answer the question, what caused the universe? What is the cause of the universe? Every cause has an effect, every effect has a cause. And no effect is greater than its cause. Something greater than the universe created this great universe. You've got to identify it. Alright, naturalists will say, well, chance. Chance is not a causal agent. What caused the universe? You've got to answer that. God is a great candidate here. This is the basic law of causality. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. That's logical. That's reasonable. The universe has a beginning. Many call it the Big Bang. 
Therefore, the universe has a cause, and you've got to answer that question. The naturalists haven't been able to answer that question yet. What is the cause of the universe? Something or someone greater than the universe created the universe. That points to a creator. All right, so, since the universe has a beginning, it cannot be eternal. Therefore, pantheism can't be true. Since the universe has a beginning, it must have a cause. Therefore, naturalism or atheism needs to identify that cause, and they have not. Secondly, the universe shows complex design. Here's the basic reasoning here. Every design has a designer. The universe has highly complex design. Therefore, the universe has a designer. Let me give you a simple illustration. You know, if you're flying over the Pacific and your plane crashes in the ocean and you survive and you make your way to a deserted island and you assume there is no one on that island except you and you're walking along the beach and you find a watch, what do you immediately assume? Yeah, something so highly complex takes an intelligent mind to put it together. How come nobody assumed the wind, the rain, the lightning naturally put this watch together? All the materials of a watch, can you find it here on this earth? Yeah, it's just too complex, too designed. You would immediately assume there's someone else on that island who dropped the watch. And when you look throughout the universe, that's what you are discovering. Those of you going into the sciences, there's really nothing to be afraid of as Christians as you go into the sciences. The more we're learning about the sciences, the more we're discovering apparent design in every facet of the sciences, cosmology, astronomy, biology, microbiology, chemistry, physics. We are discovering intelligent design. Let me just give you a few examples. Paul states this in Romans chapter 1. The knowledge of God may be known through what has been created so that all men are without excuse. For example, when you study the universe, you know, our universe expands at just the right rate so that our galaxies can form and we can have life here on this earth. Jupiter, this huge planet, this huge gas ball, the reason Earth doesn't get hit by asteroids and meteors is why? Well, Jupiter acts like a big sponge, sucks them right in. Now, is Jupiter a solid planet? A big gas ball. So when those meteors hit, what happens to Jupiter? Absorbs them. Imagine if it were a solid ball, what would happen when these giant meteors and asteroids hit? It's quite amazing. All of that coming together in just the right way. Does it take more faith to say, well, it just happened by accident? Or that a divine designer put it together? I mean, the odds are stacked against you if you want to say it came about just by accident. So as you study the universe, you discover divine design. In biology as well, what we're learning about DNA, that's one of the most compelling evidences for an intelligent designer. We're learning that our, our DNA is so complex, it's like the Microsoft Windows program. It's that complex. To say that that could come about by chance is like saying a monkey jumped on my computer and just randomly hit the keys and came up with a program for Microsoft Windows. Just the human body itself, the human brain, it's an incredible machine. We've yet to create a computer that can do what the human brain can do. We spend millions trying to create a computer or machines that can do what the human body can do, and we still can't do it. The noted atheist, Carl Sagan, a host of many of the PBS specials, The Cosmos, said this, The genetic information in the brain expressed in bits is probably comparable to the total number of connections among neurons, about 100 trillion 10 to the 14th power bits. If written out in English, that information would fill some 20 million volumes. He went on to say, the brain is a very big place in a very small space. The neurochemistry of the brain is astonishingly busy. The circuitry of a machine more wonderful than any devised by humans. So even the atheists have to admit the brain is some kind of incredible machine. To say it came about just by chance, by accident, or natural forces, the odds are against you. We've got some serious implications here. Design indicates the designer. And a designer 
indicates intelligence, an intelligent being. Intelligence is part of personhood. Therefore, the worldview of pantheism would be false. Because in pantheism, God is a, is a non-person. He's an impersonal force. Yet someone that can show intelligence and create, that shows personhood. The creator is personal. Naturalism, that teaches there is no creator, therefore must also be false. And finally, we have the universal moral law. Romans chapter 2 talks about this. Our conscience, written on our hearts. We instinctively know right from wrong. I don't have to write a great essay in here to prove to you that for me to torture and murder a four-year-old child for fun is wrong. I don't have to prove that to you. We all know that in every culture of the world. In every culture of the world, adultery is wrong. How do we know that? Where does that moral law code come from? It doesn't come from nature. It can't come from nothing. It must come from a moral lawgiver. Every moral law has a lawgiver. And there is an absolute moral law in every culture of the world. There is a universal moral law. Murder is wrong. Therefore, there must be an absolute moral lawgiver. The moral law must come from a moral being. It can't come from nature. Nature doesn't display that kind of morality or conscience. The moral law points to a person, a personal moral law giver. Therefore, pantheism cannot be true. And naturalism is also in trouble. Where does this moral law come from? How do we identify evil, right, from wrong? You look at those three, that the universe has a beginning, therefore it must have a cause. The universe displays design, and there is a universal moral law. The evidence all indicates we live in a theistic universe. We live in a universe in which there is an intelligent, eternal, and powerful creator. Now, if we live in a theistic universe, and the evidence points there, the worldviews of naturalism, or atheism, and pantheism must be false. Therefore, the religions and philosophies that are undergirded by these two worldviews must also ultimately be false. Pantheism, which undergirds Hinduism, the New Age, Northern Buddhism, Taoism, Transcendental Meditation, and other, the Eastern religions, therefore, must ultimately be false. Naturalism, that undergirds the philosophies of Darwinism, Socialism, Southern Buddhism, Humanism, must ultimately be false. And then we're left with the three monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, of these three, which one has the evidence to show that it is true? If theism is true, naturalism and pantheism cannot be true. Now, if God exists, miracles are possible. In fact, they're more than possible, they're actual. The greatest miracle has already occurred. You know what it is? Creating the universe out of nothing. If God can create the universe out of nothing, is it any problem for God to resurrect a dead body? Any problem for God to part the Red Sea? If God exists, miracles are possible. In fact, uh, they are more than possible. They're actual. And God uses miracles to confirm His message and His messengers. That's how we identify that someone or a message has come from God. And that's how He has ordained to communicate and confirm His message and His messengers. All three monotheistic religions affirm that God confirms His message with miracles. All three do. If you read the Quran, the Quran states hey, that God's prophets are confirmed by miracles. Now, of the three, hey, Christianity is true because the testimony of Jesus Christ in the Bible has miraculous confirmation. Let's take a look. Jesus Christ claimed to be the divine Son of God and Christ confirmed His claim through His miraculous, sinless life, ministry, and resurrection. No other religion 
Has anyone claiming to be the divine Son of God and confirm their claims in a miraculous form as Christ has? Okay, and the Bible also stands apart. It has miraculous confirmation. So, let's take a look at the life of Christ. First, the record of Christ's life is accurately recorded in the Gospels. In the Gospels, we have compelling evidence that they are a first century eyewitness account of the life of Christ. And the accuracy of the Gospels have been confirmed. We've got good evidence, good historical evidence, that the Gospels were written well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. They represent eyewitness accounts. They record a very accurate historical account of the life of Jesus Christ, written well within the first century. Now, the Gospels, or the New Testament, has been very accurately preserved. One of the things you see on these PBS specials and from critics now who are attacking the Bible is that the New Testament has been altered and changed. The evidence stands against them. The New Testament is one of the best attested ancient works. And we've got thousands, over 5,700 ancient manuscripts, some dating from the very early 2nd century. The Rylands Fragment, about 120 AD, found in Egypt. Ancient manuscripts, dating as early as the early 2nd century, affirm that our New Testament has been very accurately preserved. And it hasn't been doctored or changed over the centuries. Then we have the writings of the ancient church fathers. They affirm that our New Testament has been very accurately preserved. The church fathers of the first three centuries quote every verse in the New Testament except for 11 verses. And so even if we didn't have these ancient manuscripts, we could still put together our New Testament from the writings of the church fathers. Clement of Rome writes as early as 90 AD, and he's quoting the Gospels. And so all these evidences show the Gospels are written well within the first century, and that they have been very accurately preserved. And the Gospels are shown to be historically accurate. They're confirmed by archaeology. Thousands of archaeological discoveries confirm the historical accuracy of the Bible, especially the Gospels. Uh, there's numerous famous stories out there. Uh, one is uh, that comes to mind, Sir William Ramsey. He's a great historian, was an atheist, went to the Middle East to disprove Luke's account of the Gospel and the Book of Acts, and after his thorough research, he concluded that Luke is a historian, uh, one of the greatest historians. He should be put up there with one of the greatest historians, because what he wrote about was just dead-on accurate. Thousands of archaeological discoveries confirm the accuracy of the Bible and the Gospels. And not only that, we have non-Christian historical works that confirm characters and events of the Gospels. In fact, uh, these non-Christian historical works, Jewish and Roman, you can call them anti-Christian historical works because when they write about Christianity, they're pretty hostile to it. Like Tacitus calls it a mischievous kind of religion. Celsus, he's a critic of the Christians. You can call these anti-Christian works. We have close to a dozen, here are just a few that I mentioned, that confirm many characters and events written about in the Gospels. Here are some of the events and characters that are confirmed by these non-Christian historical works. That Jesus lived during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. That he lived a virtuous life. That he was a wonder worker. Okay, some attribute it to sorcery or magic. But see, that's an indirect way of saying this guy did some powerful stuff. They're just trying to explain it away somehow. That he had a brother named James who was martyred. He claimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. That his disciples from the beginning worshipped him. 
as God. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. His disciples believed he rose from the dead. His disciples were willing to die for their faith. Christianity spread rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. Many of these facts are confirmed in these non-Christian historical works, like Josephus writing in the early 1st century. So the Gospels have been confirmed to be written very early within the 1st century in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. They have been accurately preserved and give us an accurate account of the, mirac- of the sinless, miraculous life, ministry, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the divine Son of God, confirmed His claim through His sinless, miraculous life, ministry, and resurrection. Study all the great religious leaders. None of them compare to Christ. None of them come close. None of them have the miraculous confirmation that Jesus Christ has. Study their life. Study their works. No one comes close. Jesus lived a sinful life. Even his enemies in John chapter 8, he looks at them and he says, well, on what sin do you hold me guilty of? And they couldn't answer him. All they could say is, well, you, a man, claim to be God. Jesus healed all kinds of diseases. Jesus performed miracles over every realm of creation, which shows he has mastery over every realm of creation. No other great religious leader has been able to demonstrate that they have rulership over every realm of creation. Jesus showed mastery over nature, over disease, over the spiritual realm, over the natural realm. Then we have the remarkable record of prophecy. J. Barton Payne, in his Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy, states that there are about 170 prophecies made of Christ in the Old Testament, and he fulfills every single one. Just incredible. There is no one. And study all the great religious leaders who have so many prophecies, specific prophecies made of him, and he fulfills every single one. Muhammad doesn't have any. Confucius doesn't have any. There's no Hindu leader that has so many prophecies made of them that have come to pass. For example, where he would be born, that he be the descendant of David. Daniel 9 is a remarkable prophecy. If you map that out, that's a whole nother presentation. Predicts the time he enters Jerusalem and the time of his death. Betrayed and sold for exactly 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53 alone if you just took that one prophecy alone, there's about a dozen prophecies there made of Jesus Christ. If all we had was Isaiah 53, hey, that's still remarkable prophecy which Christ fulfilled. There's no other leader that has that kind of prophetic legacy or testimony as Jesus Christ. And finally, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is one of the best attested to ancient historical events. We've got great evidence that the resurrection is not a myth, it's indeed a historical event. All men have died. Jesus Christ alone conquered sin and the grave. And so the resurrection confirms Christ's claim to be the divine Son of God, the resurrection and the life, the only authority over sin and death. No other religious leader demonstrates that kind of authority. And in John 14, 6, claimed to be the only way to eternal life, the only one who could be the perfect sacrifice that fulfills God's righteous standard and also uh, conquers sin and death. Match them up. Match them up with any religious leader. None of them can compare. Muhammad did not live a sinless life. If you look at his life, uh, he did not live a sinless life. In fact, in the Quran, he is told to repent of his sins several times. There are no miracles that Muhammad recorded in the Quran. I read the Quran. In fact, Muhammad is asked by the people, show us a sign, show us a sign that we may know you're the prophet of Allah. For the prophets of Allah are confirmed by miracles. And Muhammad refuses to do any. He just says, well, look at the Quran, and that is enough. There's no record of prophecy of Muhammad. They try hard, you know, John 14, John 16, but that's prophecy of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Muhammad died in Medina. What about Buddha? 
Well, he didn't live a sinless life. It's one of the things he struggled with. If you know the story of Buddha, he abandoned his wife and child in search of enlightenment. And there are no miracles of Buddha uh, in the earliest records. Any miracle accounts come centuries later. Just like Muhammad, okay, the miracle accounts come in the Hadith about 200 years later. There's no record of prophecy of the coming of Buddha. Okay, and the same thing. He died in Nepal. His grave is still there. Christ resurrected and rose again. Match him up with any other leader. Confucius, any other Hindu guru out there. They don't compare. So since Jesus is the divine son of God, he confirmed it through his miraculous, sinless life, ministry, and resurrection. What he taught is true. Okay, and whatever contradicts the teaching of Christ, therefore, must be false. Okay, since the teachings of the other religions contradict the teachings of Christ, therefore, they must ultimately be false. Okay, and Jesus also affirms the authority and inspiration of the Old Testament directly and the New Testament indirectly. So, how do we know Christianity is true? The evidence indicates we live in a theistic universe, in a universe in which God exists. God confirms his message and his messenger through miracles. And Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the divine Son of God, confirmed his claim through his miraculous life, ministry, and resurrection. So all the evidence indicates Christianity is true. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just two fifty on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want. And we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure and visit us online at 